There are some words from a favorite song when I was young. The song is called Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Some of those words say, O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but our world is in a bit of disarray. You notice that? I mean, after all, the Cubs are in the World Series. (laughs) We'll continue to pray for them tonight. Um... I'd kind of summarize the state of the disarray of what's going on in our world today, uh, maybe with a couple words. Uh, A couple of them would be from uncertainty to mayhem, from uncertainty to mayhem. It just kind of goes anywhere in between there. Or another couple words are from perplexed to chaos, perplexed to chaos. If I were to pick a single word to kind of describe all of this, that word would be the word confusion, the word confusion. Um, it's kind of like, what in the world is going on in our world today? And by the way, I would also say it this way. What in the world is going on in my life today? What's going on? There's confusion with politics and economics, and there's confusion with uh, life events. Like, why did that happen? Where did that come from? Confusion with present life circumstances. Like, why is that happening to me. Confusion and personal makeup. Like, why am I the way that I am? Have you ever wondered that? Um, I have. Not about you. (laughs) About me. Uh, Confusion about spiritual things. Like, really, is there a God? And if there is, what's his thing? What's going on? And just confusion about life. Like, what is life about and what's my purpose? And I think the fact of the matter is we all know and experience confusion. And the reality of it is, along with that, is is I think that we often don't want to admit that. That we go through life wondering and questioning and kind of don't want to admit to each other that, if you will, oftentimes in our mind, life is in a bit of disarray. where We're a bit confused with what's going on. So with that said, a question on the table for today. Where does a person take their confusion? Where does a person take their confusion? And with that, what do they need to hear? In other words, in your and my confusion, what do we need to know? What do we need to hear? What do we need to see? Where do we take it and what do we need to know? Well, last Sunday, we were uh, meeting a man named Job. We were uh, talking about uh, when he is bigger than my suffering And uh, we met a man named Job. I want to continue with Job today. Um, Book of Job has had a huge impact in my life. And I trust that today uh, you will see more of the book of Job showing out and why that is. We're told in chapter 1, verse 1, that Job was a God-fearing man. He was blameless. He was upright that he uh, turned away from evil. We talked about how that fearing God was the base of it all. That was the center of it all. We talked about how the fear of God is the wow of God, the amazingness of God, and oh my as well. Wow, oh my. 
There's also a fear, a reverence that the Lord is big. There's an excitement wow, and yet there's a fear reality, oh my wow, of who the Lord is. Job was that kind of man. He was that kind of man in his private life, in his home life, in his business life, in his public life. I mean, Job was the kind of man that all of us want to be. Um, as we learned there in verse 1 and following. And then we find in verse 6, chapter 1, we then meet Satan. Satan is presenting himself before the Lord. Freaky, cool, so much theology there. And, and that led to this conversation between the Lord and Satan. Remember, Satan presents himself to the Lord. God and Satan are not equals. Okay, he comes presenting himself before the Lord. But in that conversation, I don't want to spend too much time on it. It's kind of this divine bet takes place. This divine debate takes place about Job. God says, hey, Satan, while you're roaming around, have you seen my man Job? How cool is that? And uh, Satan's like, yeah, because you gave him everything. He doesn't love you for you. He loves you for what you give him. And that was the question from last week. Do we love the Lord for who he is, or do we love the Lord for the idea of what he might give me? There's a big, big difference. Well, out of this heavenly confrontation, Job is placed in this place of being a living testimony before Satan. I think we would all agree that it's a really cool opportunity to be able to be a living testimony before someone else or before other people. Really cool opportunity, right, when that happens, that the Lord would use us to be able to be a living opportunity of, of the Lord before them. But can you imagine this? That then you, here Job is placed, not just in front of people, but Job is placed to be a living testimony before Satan himself. What an opportunity. By the way, I might suggest maybe we need to be thinking that we are that as well. That we are living in an, as an opportunity to be living testimonies of what it looks like to love the Lord in front of Satan. So that he can see what an opportunity we have every day. So God gives Satan the permission to unload on Job, which is crazy. In the text it says, you can stretch out your hand, but you cannot touch him. Uh, not his body, not himself. And bam, we find Job is just gone right after. He loses his business empire. He loses all of his employees are killed. Ten of his ten children are dead. And we come to the end of the chapter, and how does this God-fearing dad and business tycoon respond? Well, at the very end of the chapter, we see that he stands up, tears his robe, shaves his head. We talked about all this last week. Falls on the ground and worships the Lord. How can someone do that? So we talked about last week. And in that, then, he declares theological truth. Know this, friends. This is not some academic, unfeeling egghead that is just saying some creed words. This is a man being torn to shreds in every possible way imaginable, and he, in it, declares truth. I might say today, he declares biblical truth in his agony. This dude is hurting. And in his hurting, in his suffering, he declares biblical truth. And we talked a little bit about it. Uh, First, he, he communicates the truth of life. Naked I came, naked I shall return. And then he communicates the truth of control. The Lord gave, the Lord takes away. It's not my stuff. 
It's like, I think I own it, think I'm the man. Come on. Hey, the Lord gave, the Lord can take away. Uh, Declared truth of life, truth of control, and third, truth of worship. Blessed be the name of the Lord, even in my pain and agony and suffering. The Lord is to be blessed. I just want to note this, the contrast with Satan. Satan wanted to run his own life. Not put his life under the control of the Father, his creator. Satan wanted to control his own life. and Not let the Lord, his creator, do that. Satan wanted to worship himself. He wanted worship for himself. And friends, I would just suggest, that's the same battle within our own hearts. We so often want to have uh, run our own life and control our own life and have the worship for ourselves. Yep, Job and all this and his suffering shows that Job loved the Lord for who the Lord is, not for what the Lord can do for him. There's an order of it. Can the Lord do much? Yes. But the priority is who the Lord is first and foremost. And Job caused us to ask the question, so in suffering, what does my response to suffering show and say? When I'm going through a hard time, how do I see the Lord? Do I see him for who he is? Or do I see him for what he isn't giving me right now? Well... We didn't really see confusion in Job chapter 1, I don't think. But know this, we do the rest of the book. And in fact, here's what's going to go. Game on the table. I am going to attempt to, in 10 minutes, cover the next 36 chapters. Now, we have some visitors with us from international countries who they might be able to say, well, our pastor Al, he does that all the time, man. He's quick and clear, quick with the words, and he can get there. And I just want to let you know, I'm not so much. <laughs> and all God's people said? <laughs> oh, that hurt. No. Okay, here we go. Uh, we're going to get going here. Uh, chapter 2. Chapter 2 takes us back to the heavenly throne room. Satan, after having seen in chapter 1, I mean, Satan seen is the end, Satan is seeing the end of chapter 1 and how Job responds in that. And after seeing that, we find Satan showing up again, presenting himself again before the Lord. And uh, in that, um, he is saying, okay, let me go at his flesh. Okay, that didn't work, but let me go after him. And then I'll show you that he's really only about what you give him and you don't really, he doesn't really love you for who you are. And so chapter 2, verse 7, God grants Satan his request, and bam, Satan struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Friends, he is like a roaring lion, and he loves to destroy anything that matters to God. That's what he cares about. And so he is after him, bam, quicks, and these, it's so loathsomely bad in Job's life that we find him there scraping his skin off his body with broken pottery. I can't even fathom that. And yet that's what is taking place there. Then Job's wife for the first time enters the scene and in all her painful devastation going on with her. I remember her, her 10 children are dead and the family business is gone. And everything with it. And she's in agony. And she comes before Job. And basically, she is in a place of confusion. And she asks Job, Job, give it up. Curse God and die. 
And Job, even in her confusion and hurt, doesn't let her keep speaking that out there. And then three of Job's friends show up on the scene. Verse 11, they show up, and it's so cool, to show sympathy and comfort. And in it, they are stunned when they see Job. And they see him, and with the loathsome sores going on, and plus all of life going on, they are stunned when they just see him. And uh, there they show up. For seven days and seven nights, they are silent before him. By the way, that's very good counsel. Sometimes the best thing to do is not to say anything, but just to be there. Okay? And I give them major kudos for them. Good choice. Then chapter 3, Job finally speaks. And he says, let the day perish on which I was born. And then I will ask you to note in chapter 3 all the why questions. By the way, there's part of this that gives me hope. Job's human. Okay? Look at verse 11. Why? Verse 12. Why? Verse 20. Why? Verse 23. Why? Why? Don't you get to that point? Like, why is this going on? What's happening? Job is there. And then his three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, begin to speak. And from chapter 4 to chapter 31, these three are duking it out with Job. They're giving him their counsel. They have a few good things to say. But most of the things they say in their counsel is built on horrible theology of suffering. Okay? I would say it this way. They're coming from the place where it's like sin deserves a divine spanking. You're getting a divine spanking, therefore it must be sin. Let me say that again. It comes from the place that we understand that sin deserves a divine spanking. And therefore they see suffering in Job, this divine spanking. And they go, it must be sin in you. Um, Can that happen? Yes. But that's not what's happening. And I'll say, sadly, today, we see a lot of this kind of encouragement going on today. Uh, So Eliphaz, I'd call him the suggester, he tries to convince Job of his sin, of his life, by accusing him of some kind of disrespect and defiance of God. Bildad, the instructor, I'll call him, tries to instruct Job with worldly, sounds good, traditional, religious thinking instruction. Zophar, I mean, he just goes at it. He's a rebuker. He accuses Job to the point of saying that Job has received less punishment than he actually deserves. <laughs> Want that guy as your friend? Um, I'm just going to say not. And on one hand, I applaud the efforts of these friends to try and come and bring comfort and counsel to Job. But they are an example of how counsel built out of bad or at best weak theology is disastrous counsel. Pastoral note. Your theology matters. Your theology, your thinking matters. The foundation of your thinking matters. So I just say this. Is your theology of life built more on country music and rap music and pop music? Is it built more on a reality TV show or Dr. Phil or the web? Or is it built on God's word? There's a big difference. There's a big difference. And friends, this is really important stuff. God's people 
are increasingly viewing God's word as outdated, irrelevant, antiquated, unpractical, and limp. It's kind of being viewed more like an Aesop's fables that's in need of some kind of like Kardashian rebranding than the fact that it is, this is God's word. Let me say that again. This is God's word. Okay? Second Peter 1 tells us that his words are fully sufficient tells us that we have everything we need for life and godliness right here. So let's start with this. It doesn't need rebranding. It doesn't need repackaging. It just needs more of this. And that's what has life and godliness. So like today, so many people today, Job's friends had well-intentioned hearts, but bad theology. Bad theology, regardless of well-intentioned hearts, results in bad counsel. And that's what they get. Your counsel matters. Your theology matters. We're all the way up to chapter 31. Turn there. Throughout these chapters, I'm still watching the clock. Throughout these chapters, Job, that we just passed over, Job's been wrestling with his suffering. He's in a confused place. We arrive to chapter 31 and we find Job at his end. Look at chapter 31 and note all of the if I haves here. I'm just going to note them to you. Verse 13, if I have. 16, verse 19, verse 21, verse 24, 25, 26, verse 29, verse 33. And then in verses 38 and 39, it's if my, if I. There's, the, there's the, all these ifs. If, 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 if. And Job has been hearing all this bad counsel over all these chapters from his friends. And now Job is questioning his own situation. Job is in a place of, Job is in a state of confusion. And I think we could all understand why. If we understand all that took place and was poured out and we understand, and Job here is defending his right to lament, he's denouncing his friend's insistence that he deserves the suffering for some sin he's done, which we learned in the early chapter one, that's not the situation whatsoever at all. And then in this, these chapters, he states the injustices he's seeing in others' experience, and he's complaining about how God has and is treating him, and he accuses God. God for being overly cruel. Have you ever thought those before? He's a real man. And we've all been there in some shape, manner, or form. And then we come to chapter 32. And after 26 chapters of confusion conversation, young Elihu speaks. He's been holding back. And he speaks to Job and he rebukes Job and he rebukes their bad theology. What a great young man this is here. And he brings in a right view of who the Lord is and a right view of suffering back on the table. And then, drumroll please, in the whirlwind of all the confusion, the Lord speaks. 
Can you imagine? By the way, that was 10 minutes. Okay. Hey, remember our question? Where does a person take his or her confusion? And in their confusion, what do we need to hear? What do they need to hear? I've tried to set you up, to un- not set you up, but to get work you through here to understand. Job has gone from what he went in chapter 1. And Job is now in a place of grand confusion. He's questioning the Lord. He's pushing back on the Lord. He's saying this is not fair. And he is just confused by what's going on here. I wonder what the Lord's going to say. By the way, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read all that the Lord says here. Because I think it's that powerful and that important. And here's what I would like for you to do. You're welcome to follow along in your Bible if you want. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. But I might even suggest that you not this one time. It's up to you. I think there's something about just being in Job's place. To where Job didn't have the scriptures written out on what the Lord's about to say and follow it. But Job is listening to what the Lord has to say. And I'd maybe even like for us to put ourselves in that place to hear what the Lord said. Along with that, I'm going to ask in this that you would bring along with this. What's one or two of your big confusion items of life? Maybe it has to do with your past. Like, I've always just had this issue with the Lord. Like, why did he allow that to take place? Or maybe it's like right now in your life, you're going through something and you're just wondering, what in the world is going on with this right now? I had had hopes and dreams and it is not turning out this way. In fact, maybe it's even the opposite of that. And I'm really having a struggle with the Lord right now. How do I handle this? Why, why, if, 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 I would ask that you bring that right now and let's hear what the Lord has to say with a man who's gone through suffering Beyond, I would say, anybody in this room. And the Lord steps in and speaks. Friends, hear the Lord. Chapter 38. Chapter 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Honestly, I'm not quite sure if that's referring to the whirlwind of all the mess that's been talked about. Or if he's referring to like God just coming out of this really cool whirlwind kind of thing. Verse 2, and he said, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? All right, are you already getting a feel that the Lord's not like really thrilled? Like the Lord has been listening to everything that's been going on. And he begins by, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Verse 3, dress for action like a man. In some versions it says, gird your loins, Job. I like that. It just sounds cooler. Gird your loins up, Job. Um, And God says, I will question you. And you make it known to me. Got the setting? Gird your loins up. I will question you. And you will make it known to me. Job. I'll get it here. Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me. Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or stretched the line upon it. 
On what were its bases sunk, or who had laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb, when I made clouds its garment? And thick darkness. Bear with me, folks. I am really tired. It's swaddling band. By the way, I get teary when I'm tired. When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far shall you come and no further. And here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you, Job, have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal and its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked their light is withheld and their uplifted arm is broken. Job, have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked into the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare it if you know all this. Where is the way to the dwelling of light? And where is the place of darkness that you may take it to its territory? And that you may discern the paths to its home? You know, for you were born then and the number of your days is great. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow, or have you seen the storehouses of the hail, which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? What is the way to the place where the light is distributed, and where the east wind is scattered upon the earth? Who has cleft a channel for the torrents of rain, and a way for the thunderbolt to bring rain on a land where no man is, on the desert in which there is no man? satisfy the waste and desolate land and to make the ground sprout with grass. Has the rain a father or who has begotten the drops of dew? From whose womb did the ice come forth and who has given birth to the frost of the heaven? The waters become hard like stone and the face of the deep is frozen. Can you bind the chains of the plagues or lose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth the Maseroth in their season or can you guide the bear with its children? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you establish their rule on the earth? If you're Job right now, are you like, okay, hold it. I got the point. Can you lift your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are. Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? Who can number the clouds by wisdom or who can tilt the water skins of the heavens? Then the dust runs into a mass and the clods stick fast together. Can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in their thicket? Who provides for the raven its prey when its young ones cry to God for help and wander out for lack of food? Do you know when the mountain goats give birth, Job? Do you observe the calving of the does? Can you number the months that they fulfill? And do you know the time when they give birth, when they crouch, bring forth their offspring, and are delivered of their young? 
Their young ones become strong. They grow up in the open. They go out and do not return to them. Who has let the wild donkey go free? Who has loosed the bonds of the swift donkey? To whom have I given our arid plain for his home and the salt land for his dwelling place? He scorns the tumult of the city. He hears not the shouts of the driver. He ranges the mountains as his pasture and he searches for every green thing. Is the wild ox willing to serve you, Job? Will he spend the night at your manger? Job, can you bind him in the furrow with ropes? Or will he harrow the valleys after you? Will you depend on him because his strength is great? And will you leave him your labor? Do you have faith in him that he will return your grain and gather it to your threshing floor? The wings of the ostrich wave proudly. But are they the pinions and plumage of love? For she leaves her eggs to the earth and lets them be warmed on the ground, forgetting that a foot may crush them and that the wild beast may trample them. She deals cruelly with her young as if they were not hers, though her labor be in vain, yet she has no fear because God has made her forget wisdom and given her no snare and understanding. When she rouses herself to flee, she laughs at the horses and his rider. Job, do you give the horse his might? Do you clothe his neck with a mane? Do you make him leap like the locust? His majestic snorting is terrifying. He paws in the valley and exults in his strength. He goes out to meet the weapons. He laughs at fear and is not dismayed. He does not turn back from the sword. Upon him rattle the quiver, the flashing spear and the javelin. With fierceness and rage he swallows the ground. He cannot stand still on the sound of the trumpet. When the trumpet sounds he says, Aha! He smells the battle from afar, the thunder of the captains and the shouting. Is it by your understanding that the hawks soars and spreads his wings towards the south? Is it at your command that the eagle mounts up and makes his nest on high? On the rocks he dwells and makes his home, on the rocky crag and stronghold. From there he spies out the prey. His eyes behold it far off. His young ones suck up blood and where the slain are, there he is. Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him now answer it. Question. Where's your confusion at right now? Let me sum it up this way. The Lord does not explain himself one bit. Instead, the Lord reveals himself. What does the confused person need? You don't need explanation. You need to know who the Lord is. But Doug, I need to know why. I know. I could give you some examples in my life. I'm still wondering why. 
but you don't need your whys answered. You need to know the who of your whys. And when you understand the who, you can lay your whys there. By the way, Job doesn't give, or God doesn't give Job just one dose of who he is. He gives him two. Because the Lord's not done. Verse 3, chapter 40 says, Then Job answered the Lord and said... Now, to me, this is actually the most intriguing part of it all. Because here Job has gone through losing all of his children, losing his empire, and all of his employees associated with the empire. And by the way, he didn't make widgets, he made animals. And there is something human-ish about an animal. There's something life about an animal as opposed to say like a medical device or, or, or building a home or something. There's, hum- there's, there's life in it and, and he's lost all of that and especially his children and his wife has told him to curse and die. His friends have has told him that he, he's like really messed up and got some deep sin in his life and in fact he should get more suffering that the Lord's trying to grab a hold in it all and um, yet in it all here he How is he going to respond after God said all that he said? I would kind of think that he might go like, God, you are so, like, cruel. Like, come on, man. Everything that's happened to me, and now you got to, like, chew me out? Look at how he responds. Behold, I am of small account. Bam. That's exactly right. Hey, friends, loved ones, our problem is we think we're too big. We think we're too great. We think we're too important. And before the Lord, the fact of the matter is we are really small in comparison to the Lord. And yet the fact of the matter is the Lord, the great big one, loves you in our smallness. Behold, I am small. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once and I will not answer. Twice, but I will not proceed no further. In other words, okay, I'm just going to zip it. And here's God. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Gird your loins up, my friend. I will question you and make it known to me. Doug, are you going to read the rest? Yes. Here we go. Job. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like his? Adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. Pour out the overflowings of your anger and look on everyone who is proud and abase him. Look on everyone who is a proud and bring him low and tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them all in the dust together. Bind their faces in the world below. Then will I also acknowledge to you that your own right hand can save you. Behold the behemoth. God is going back to everything that he's created and helping Job understand who Job is in the light of creation. And God is helping him to understand, though he's small, friends, we are the pinnacle of creation. 
We are the only thing in all of creation that was created in the image of God. And yet, look at just what's, quote, smaller than us. Behold the behemoth, which I made as I made you. He eats grass like an ox. Behold his strength and his loins and his power in the muscles of his belly. He makes his tail stiff like a cedar. The sinews of his thighs are knit together. His bones are tubes of bronze. His limbs like bars of iron. This is so cool to hear the one who created the behemoth describe the, one, the thing he created. It's really neat. He is the first of the works of God. Let him who made him bring near his sword. For the mountains yield food for him where all the wild beasts play. Under the lotus plants he lies. In the shelter of the reeds and in the marsh. For his shade the lotus tree cover him. The willows of the brook surround him. Behold, if the river is turbulent, he is not frightened. He is confident, though Jordan rushes rushes against his mouth. Can one take him by his eyes or pierce his nose with a snare? Job, can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook or press down his tongue with a cord? Can you put a rope in his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make many pleas to you? Will he speak to you soft words? Will he make a covenant with you to take him for your servant forever? Will you play with him as with a bird or will you put him on a leash for your girls? Will traders bargain over him? Will they divide him among the merchants? Can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? Lay your hands on him. Remember the battle. You will not do it again. Behold, the hope of a man is false. He is laid low even in the sight of him. No one is so fierce that he dares to stir him up. Who then is he who can stand before me? Who has first given to me that I should repay him. Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. I will keep silence concerning his limbs or his mighty strength or his godly frame. Who can strip off his outer garment? Who who would come near him with a bridle? Who can open the doors of his face around his teeth is terror? His back is made of rows of shields shut up closely with a seal. One is so near to another that no air can come between them. They are joined one to another. They clasp each other and cannot be separated. His sneezings flash forth light, and his eyes are like the eyelids of the dawn. Out of his mouth go flaming torches, sparks of fire leap forth. Out of his nostrils come forth smoke as from a boiling pot and burning rushes. His breath kindles coal, and a flame comes forth from his mouth. In his neck abides strength, and terror dances before him. Folds of his flesh stick together, firmly cast on him and immovable. His heart is hard as a stone, hard as the lower millstone. When he raises himself up, the mighty are afraid at the crashing there beside themselves. Though the sword reaches him, it does not avail, nor the spear, the dart of the javelin. He counts iron as straw and bronze as rotten wood. The arrow cannot make him flee, for him sling stones are turned to stubble. Clubs are counted as stubble. He laughs at the rattle of javelins. His underparts are like sharp pot sherds. He spreads him like a threshing sledge on the mire. He makes the deep boil like a pot. He makes the sea like a pot of ointment. Behind him he leaves a shining wake. One would think the deep to be white-haired. On earth there is not one like a creature without fear. 
He sees everything that is high. He is king over all the sons of pride. Job, go ahead and speak now. I know that you can do all things, chapter 42, verse 1, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted, Lord. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Lord, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Loved ones, this is so stunning to me. The Lord never once, in all the chapters I read to you, never once does the Lord explain himself to Job. But every word, every verse, every chapter of all that we read was a loving communication. It really was. It was a loving communication to Job. Job, you have forgotten who I am. Let me help you. Let me remind you of who I am and in that, who you are not. Job, you are not me. Job, you do not need an explanation from me. What you need to hear in your confusion is more of who I am. And friends, so do you and I. I don't know what your confusion items are right now. But whether they are big or small, set them up against who the Lord is. That's what we need to do. That's what we need to do. Every time the confusion items come to mind, where do we take them? We take them to the Lord. I could say this. Take them to Job chapter 38 to 42. And here in Job's confusion, I think if we got it up on the screen there, where Job says, I've uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. That's so important. I've got it in my Bible. You can see it right here. I've got it right. The sees you. The you is circled. 
Why? Because it's not like, oh, that's why. Now I understand the explanation. Now I understand that Satan presented himself in front of you, and this became a whole opportunity to be able to, to, to be a living testimony before Satan himself. Oh, now I get it. No, 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 no. None of that is there. Job still, I believe, knows none of that took place. All Job needed to know is who the Lord is. Job needed a massive dose of you. And friends, all of our confusion in the reality of this, take it here, take your confusion there. You cannot walk away from, you can walk away two ways from this. You can walk away and go, God, I don't like you. And you can do that. But when you read through this, you step back and you go, yeah, I forgot. I'm not God. And I'm not over him. And though I want an explanation, and though I want an answer to that, this may be one of those things that the Lord has decided, you don't need an explanation for it. You just need to keep looking at me and see me bigger and bigger and bigger and read it again. No, I'm not going to. You can. So let's answer our questions. Where does a person take his or her confusion? And I'm actually very, very serious about this. This is not a cop-out. I'll just say this. To Job chapter 38 to 42. Doug, you don't know my life. No, just take it to Job chapter 38 to 42 with your confusion. Doug, you don't know what's going on right now. I'm just so I got it. Take it to Job 38 to 42. But Doug, you know, the presidential thing. And and then what's going on in the world today? And things going, hey, take it to Job 38 to 42. And in the confusion, we move ahead because who our God is, not because I have the answers to every situation. That's faith. Faith is believing the word of God and acting upon it no matter how I feel, knowing that he brings the right result. And I can move, I can trust in him with that, and I can move forward with that. I don't need to know the why because I know the who. Is looking for the why wrong? No, not at all. But I think you understand what I'm saying. Some of us need to lay our why right at the foot of who the Lord is. And we need to leave it there and press ahead. And can I say this lovingly? Okay, I will. Lay it there and stop it. And when it comes back, lay it back. And when it comes back again, lay it back. You do not need to know why. You need to know who. And as hard as that is to say, it is more hopeful than anything else could ever be. Because there is one who knows. He knows the whys. And he's got it. And he's plenty bigger than you and I. And he can handle it. So take it to Job 38 to 42. Well, here's how I want to finish. I want to have us finish by not just taking it to Job 38 to 42, but we're going to finish today by actually taking it to the foot of the cross. We're going to have a time of communion. So if I could have a communion service, or if you could get ready, we're going to take communion. Here's what I want to do, friends, in this. 
I want to use this time very specifically today in our time of communion. Communion is a time to remember. And that's what Job 38 to 42 is all about. Remembering who the Lord is. And it's remembering what the Lord has done. And if you know Christ as your Savior, if there's been a time where you've come to understand that you're a sinner in need of a Savior and you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior, this is a time that we need to grab a hold of and remember. Remember, not let me say it this way, not even what the Lord has done, not even the act of being crucified on the cross in place for us and the resurrection, but the who of it. He did that. He made, he he went through that because he loves us, because he's providing the opportunity to be freed from our sin. And if you've received Christ as your savior, this is a time to remember that. So I'm going to ask this. Once our servers are in place here, in just a second, I'm just going to ask for you to get up and just come right away. Come and grab the bread, grab the cup, come back to your seat. And I'm going to ask, as I think Rob's going to be playing for us here, as Rob's going to be playing for us, I'm going to be asking that as you take your seat, you just sit down. Maybe you have Job open, but I'm going to ask that you do just what Job said it here. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you, Lord. We need some seeing going on right now, okay? And in the seeing, I'm going to ask out of that that this would be a time for you to to place yourself in that place of that despise myself. Job isn't saying, oh, I hate myself for me. He's not talking about that like I'm worthless. He's talking about the fact of, oh, what I've done. I've put put me in a place above you, Lord. And he repented. And I'm going to ask that you would come, grab the bread, grab the cup, bring it back to your seat. Let's sit for a few minutes. Let's remember who the Lord is and And one of the responses that come out of that is repentance. All through this room. Coming before the Lord. And lay your confusion fussing and repent of it. Lord, I want to know the why. More than that, I'm fine with knowing you. And I repent in having put myself in your seat and demanded of you far too many times that I must know. Lord, I repent. So come, would you come and grab the bread, grab the cup, go back to your seat and let's have time all over the room in here.